Eanes is proud to present the WHS Healthy Shab Speaker Series. This week, Sol Wooten from WholeMind.com, that's W-H-O-L-E-M-I-N-D-E.com, shares connection, the greatest skill you can teach your child. Um, and so to start, I wanted to um, kind of ask you guys why you're here today. If you're, what brought you in? Yeah, so you're highlighting a common concern that I hear from parents when they come to speak with me is, you know, technology. How much is too much? How much should I allow it? Um, That's a common concern. Another one is transitional periods tend to be really difficult um, for kids um, when it comes to connection. So some of your teens may be transitioning into high school right now or they're towards the later end of their high school years and they'll be transitioning to college they'll be leaving behind the community and the friendships that they've built here, right? Um, So those are a lot of the concerns I hear from parents. Another thing you might be wondering is, well, why is connection so important? I have to teach, my child needs to learn how to do their assignments on time, how to get out of bed in the morning, how to make their bed, how to organize, do all those executive functioning skills that we're required as adults to be competent in if we want to be successful. Um, So my goal today is to really emphasize is how important connection is and to also get guys to a point of um, believing that connection is not only important for us to thrive but also it's important for our basic survival um, and then the way we're going to approach this question why is connection important is through two perspectives um, the perspective of loneliness so um, does anyone here have a definition loneliness or how would you describe loneliness? Yes. So we tend to describe loneliness as the absence of connection. Um, So people who are lonely can have connection. The discrepancy is between their desired amount of connection and the reality of the connections that they're getting. Um, So you can have connection and still be lonely because you're not meeting that desired level. Um, The other perspective is the perspective of the kid who's connected, who has good friendships, um, that lasts for a long period of time, is able to make connections easily and deepen them. Um, so those are the two frames we're going to be looking at today, loneliness and then connection. So again, this is drive, but also to survive. And to start, I wanted to give you guys a story about my own um, story of loneliness. And this was me in high school. Had a really wonderful high school experience. I played volleyball. I made friends that I still have today, um, and I was a very, very happy teen. I was physically active and involved at school. Um, but then I went on to college, and I decided—I don't know why. Looking back on it, but I decided that I wanted to be far away from home. I wanted to go to a new place. I wanted to meet new people and have new experiences. So I chose a small college in Iowa called Cornell College. And the first month was great. It was exciting. It was new. But then I started about a month in to experience real severe loneliness. And I remember calling my parents and just crying on the phone, saying how much I missed home, how much I missed my friends, and feeling like I was never going to really feel like I could fit in at this new place. So along with that, you might think that my experience was based off of maybe I wasn't doing enough, right? Maybe I wasn't connecting with people. Maybe I was in my dorm room crying and watching when we think of loneliness, we tend to have this idea of people who are lonely are the people that are alone. But that's actually one of the myths that I wanted to tell. That's not true. Um, people who are married do tend to be happier on average than people who are not married. You can still experience loneliness having a lifelong partner. You can, still, you can experience loneliness in any social situation. 
So some of the myths include that the lonely are the people that are alone. Not true. Another myth is that if we have enough friends, we'll be satisfied with social connection. Also not true. Psychologists are finding that you actually only need about three to five friendships, good close connections, in order to feel satisfied. And if we actually extend that and try to have more than five good close relationships and connections, we're overextending ourselves. We tend to not have the psychological bandwidth to actually have that many close friendships and keep up with them. So three to five friendships is kind of the goal, right? Three to five close people that you can go to. Um, another thing is support. We tend to think, okay, well, people who are lonely, they just need more support. They need professional support, which they may, um, or they need you know, their parents to step in and support them more, something to that extent. The reality is when you're experiencing loneliness, it's often not you're lacking support, although you can also be lacking support. It's because you're lacking reciprocity and mutuality. So what that means is in friendships, what we're looking for is not just to be supported by someone, for someone to lend their ear to um, help us when we're feeling down. We're also looking for that experience of giving back, right? That's one of the most powerful things that we experience is when we're giving back to someone and we feel that reciprocity, that connection through the give and take of friendship. Um, but Another thing that we tend to think is that people who are lonely, it's their fault in some way. Maybe they lack the social skills that they need. Maybe they're not outgoing enough. Maybe they're too introverted. So the reality is that often when we, the onset of loneliness is not something that we can actually control. Um, a lot of it has to do with genetics. Give us a certain um, certain social genes, and that determines how sensitive we are to social rejection, and also how much social connection we need in order to feel happy and healthy. So you might have one kid who doesn't need a lot. You were mentioning your son, right? You might have one kid who doesn't need a lot of social interaction, or but you'll have another child, maybe your daughter, um, who does need a lot of social interaction in order to feel happy environment, a lot of it's predetermined. We don't choose how we grow up. We don't choose the schools we go to all the time. Um, and so the environment and whether it supports that level of connection that you are bo inherently born with needing, that has a big impact on whether you'll experience loneliness or not. Okay. So um, loneliness is something I think we've all experienced to a certain extent, right? And when psychologists talk about it, they put it on a spectrum. So you have things at the very shallow end of the spectrum, which they um, tend to say are like shallow forms of loneliness. Anyone who's experienced the sadness of being the last person picked on a team or um, being slighted by a classmate knows that it doesn't feel shallow. Um, but they say that those are sort of the more you know, smaller incidences of loneliness. And then on the other end, you have chronic loneliness. So this is loneliness that is long lasting and continues for a long period of time and has consequences regarding your health and your happiness. Um, so when we look at loneliness, we're all going to experience ebbs and flows of loneliness throughout our lives. However, there tends to be two peak areas where we experience more severe loneliness, and that's in adolescence and young adulthood. So between the ages typically of 15 and 25, um, you see a peak in loneliness. And also in old age, you see this as well. So. Going back to my story about college, I'd never experienced a lot of loneliness before. And sort of my peak, I was, what, 18 years old, um, far away from home, and I was very, very lonely. 
Um, and you know, I called home, told my parents how I was feeling. And it's interesting because not only do we experience the emotional pain of missing people and feeling disconnected, but we also experience an actual, something that's relatable to physical pain. What loneliness is doing is it's actually, we can think of it as an indicator. Many of us think of loneliness as bad, we want to stay far away from it. But it's good that we have this built-in system that's indicating to us that we need to connect. We need to reach out. We need to deepen our, our friendships or relationships. Um, and what's so in many ways, loneliness can be compared to physical pain. And one thing that's similar is that when we are feeling social, some form of social rejection or we've been slighted, the same part of our brain lights up and is activated as when we're feeling some sort of physical pain. Like if we were to touch a hot stove and we sense that in our brains, it's the same part of the brain that's activated, which is pretty fascinating. And I think one thing that we don't always think of is really conceptualizing emotions as indicators. So just like when you're feeling physical pain from touching something hot, when you're feeling loneliness, it's an indicator your body's trying to tell you, hey, you need to reach out, you need to connect. So um, going back to my college experience, one of the things, I was talking about connection and everything, and one of the things that, one of the fears that I had was that I was just never going to find people that I really felt connected with. I was surrounded by people that were friendly and open to me. Um, they seemed interesting but I just didn't have that grounding sense of I could have a reciprocal relationship with these people. Um, but thankfully, after I called home, my parents really encouraged me to stick with it. Um, they said, just keep trying. You're new there. It's a new experience. Just keep going with it for a little bit. And after a year, we can discuss whether you want to transfer or not. So I stuck with it, and I ended up hanging out with the same group of people that I didn't really feel connected with. But because of that, I ended up going to different parties and things, exposing myself to social situations that I wouldn't have been interested in otherwise or gone to. And as a result, I was able to find that core group of friends that I really loved spending time with, that I felt very connected with, people that I still talk to today. Um, so it's interesting that, and what's funny about it is that some of those people in that initial group that I didn't think I could connect with truly were some of the people that ended up being really good friends. Um, so what's cool about that is that loneliness was kind of prompting me, even though I wanted to throw in the towel, go home, loneliness was prompting me to stick it out. Um, well, my parents were prompting me to stick it out. And then um, loneliness was prompting me to still keep engaging, even though I didn't feel like I was really gaining much from it. And in the end, I ended up gaining a wonderful college experience. So that was ending for me. But for many people who do not listen to that warning bell, that alarm bell of loneliness, and hey, you need to reach out, you need to connect, there are long-term long side effects of loneliness. So. There's a list right here, um, but shortened lifespan, um, increased connecting diseases like heart disease, increased rate of depression, anxiety, accelerated cognitive and physical decline, obesity. Um, it predicts the progression of Alzheimer's, which is fascinating research that shows that people who are more lonely, the progression of Alzheimer's tends to be accelerated. Whereas if you have those strong relationships in your life, even if you have Alzheimer's, the, um, the decrease of your cognitive function and your memory tends to be alleviated a little bit from that. It's also equated to other unhealthy behaviors such as daily smoking and not exercising. So loneliness and being chronically 
lonely. Being lonely for a long period of time has a lot of negative impacts on our health and our both physically and mentally. So now I want to talk about the most recent generation, Gen Z. Um, and so what's interesting about this generation is this is the generation that's really been born with smartphones, like basically in their hands, smartphones and smart tools in their hands. Um, and if not, if they weren't born with it, then at least by the time they're in middle school, that's when they tend to start picking up, right? So how many of y'all's kids, if you could just give me a show of hands, how many of y'all's kids had smartphones by the time they were in middle school? Okay, looks like a majority. So smartphones, this increase of technology has, is, is making a big impact on the current generation, the youngest generation. So Gen Z is less likely to get together with their friends in person, to go to parties, to go out with friends, to date, to go riding in cars with their friends just for fun, to go to shopping malls or to the movies. So when I was growing up, these were still really common behaviors and activities for me to get together with my you know, middle school and high school friends to do. And how many, if you'll raise your hand again, how many of you all did activities like this growing up in middle school and high school? Yeah, so that's a lot of us, right? So this generation is much less likely to do that. And because of technological advancements, it's less compelling to do that because they can talk to their friends on social media. They can, you know, it's becoming increasingly more important to um, manage sort of your, your social media persona, right? And to show people that you're having fun, that you're enjoying yourself, um, and to keep up with other people and watch them as they're having fun and enjoying themselves, which contributes to feelings of, have you guys heard of FOMO? Fear of missing out? Yeah. Um, so what's interesting about all of this is that when, when kids use social media sites and connection as a form of getting together actually in person, and such as you know, creating events um, for things that are at parties that are actually going to happen, or you know, messaging someone, getting to know someone, and then meeting up with them, um, that tends to actually have a decreased likelihood of experiencing loneliness. However, the kids that use um, social connection online as a substitute for social connection in person increased likelihood of loneliness. So now that we've been talking about loneliness, which can be you know, a not fun topic about, um, I want to shift focus to connection. So have any of you heard of the longest longitudinal study that's been done on human health and well-being by Harvard? No, so this was actually, this, started, this study started in the 1930s, and it involved um, a cohort of Harvard uh, students. And since then, it's expanded to include their families, as well as people that are totally outside of this initial study. Um, but what they found is that the best thing for psychological and physical well-being long-term is having good, healthy relationships. Um, so this is the Harvard Gazette, and what they reported is, that close relationships, more than money or fame, are what keep people happy throughout their lives. Those ties protect people from life's discontents, help to delay mental and physical decline, and are better predictors of long and happy lives than social class, IQ, or even genes. So this was a really huge finding um, in that Basically, they took all of this quantitative and qualitative data. They took health records. They did so much. And they basically boiled all of those findings down to the most important thing you can take away from this is that healthy relationships and connection is vital for our happiness and our long-term survival. OK, so now that we're on the topic of connection, I want to talk about what it means to actually have a connected relationship. 
So someone who's done some work on this is Shasta Nelson. She's an entrepreneur and a writer. And she has a book about, it's called Frentimacy. Um, and it's about the intimacy that's needed in friendships and how to develop better friendships. So one of the things she talks about is one of the components that's necessary, a fundamental of friendship, is positivity. And positivity doesn't mean that you have to be positive all of the time, right? It simply means that you have to have some sort of positive interaction with the other person at least five times out of one. So for every five positive interactions, you can have one sort of negative interaction. But the, the positive has to be overwhelmingly there and present, right? And this isn't just true of friendships. This is true of romantic relationships. Any relationship um, this can be applied to. So the other thing that you need, you've got this positivity. You also need consistency. So if you don't have consistency, if you aren't consistently seeing the person and putting time and energy into the relationship, you're not going to be able to get that sort of ultimate feeling of connection with the individual. And then the other part is vulnerability, um, also known as intimacy. So this is about you know, being honest with the person about where you're at, having an open heart and mind when you're talking with them. Um, but it doesn't just have to mean talking about the things that cause you shame or the negative things, right? We tend to think of vulnerability as connected with shame. Um, and while it is, and I recommend Renee Brown's talk, TED Talk for anyone who hasn't, it's amazing. Um, but it can also be vulnerability about the things you're proud of, right? Or the things that you're hopeful for. Vulnerability doesn't just have to be about the things that make you feel kind of icky inside. So when you have these three things all together, then you have that ultimate form of connection. Um, but I think it's really important to think of these things separately and evaluate your relationship from the perspective of, OK, where am I at with positivity with this person? Where am I at with consistency? Where am I at with vulnerability? connected to someone, one, one if not all, if not two of these things are missing. So one exercise I actually do with some of my teen clients that are experiencing difficulty in friendships is have them rate where their friendship is at on each of these levels, positivity, consistency, and vulnerability. So now what I'd like to do is transition into giving you guys some take-home action items that you can bring home to your kids um, or that you can imply in your own life, right? So although we're, I'm trying to target this to teens and um, the kids that you guys have, these are, you know, there's no age limit for learning these skills. Um, and I'm still learning some of these things. Here we go. So one is having the conversation. Um, you know, I think it can be really tough as parents to see your child suffering or to feel like maybe they're not connecting as much as they can. And one way you can get a little bit closer is bridging that distance that you may feel there is with what your perception of your child's loneliness levels or connection is and what their perception is, right? So starting that conversation with them. Um, and if you don't really know what questions to ask, there are some validated questionnaires might be helpful for your reference. I wouldn't recommend you go to your kid with a questionnaire and say, fill this out. Um, I don't think that would be received very well. But if you want some ideas on how to approach this, try looking at some questionnaires. This one from UCLA is the loneliness scale. Um, it's been revised multiple times. Um, and it's used a lot in psychological studies. Some of the questions they ask are, I feel in tune with the people around me. And then you're supposed to rate it. Um, I lack companionship. There's no one I can turn to. There's also positives as well, and they're negative rated. Um, so yeah, so, so kind of help them have that conversation with them and help them evaluate the situation. Maybe 
take home those three things, the consistency, positivity, and vulnerability, and ask them where they would rate their, their friends, their friendships on that scale. Another thing is asking questions. So not just trying asking questions trying to evaluate the situation, but showing that you're genuinely interested in how they're doing socially, right? Who are their friends? What do they like about them? Um, what do they enjoy doing with them? What are some things they've been wanting to do for a long time with their friends that they haven't done? Just show that you're genuinely interested and you care about their friendships and how they're managing with them. So the other thing is quality over quantity. Um, so we talked earlier about popularity and how popularity is the answer. Um, but also, so yeah, so really um, honing in on what are the quality connections that they're creating. If there's a friend that they're interested in, but they haven't um, really done the work, put in the work to really uh, get that friendship going, how can you encourage that? Um, but another thing that's really interesting is small connections are being shown to be more and more important. Um, not more and more important. The research is showing how important they are. Um, so that means going to the barista in the coffee shop and saying hello and just smiling and asking a friendly question, right? That's going to the library and whoever you guys interact with on a daily basis that you don't know personally, just having those small interactions of loneliness and can, can, can help us feel more and more connected within our daily lives, even if it's not the deep connections that we also really need. So both are important. The other thing is weekly challenges. So what I'll do with some of my students that are really struggling with friends is give them challenges. Um, and usually I'll just have note cards and write challenges out. And then they pick one randomly, and that's their challenge for the week. And then I check in with them the next week. So what that could look like is learning something new about someone in class, sharing with a friend something that's been on your mind lately, um, giving a genuine compliment to someone. And these are all kind of like little social social challenges that can help build up confidence in becoming more vulnerable, becoming more consistent, and becoming really engaging in those positive interactions more often. In-person socializing. Um, so another thing that I think many parents are concerned about is, you know, we've been talking about technology a little bit, um, but really there's so many activities that go on each day, I think, and especially with the current generation of teens, we, they're constantly overloaded with things do. They have school, they have you know, band practice or soccer or whatever the case may be. Um, how many of you guys would say you feel your teens have a good amount of downtime? So there's down, some people feel their teens have some good downtime, which is good. I would, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's about encouraging them to do in-person socializing during that time. I really recommend that. Um, it's just not, if, if they can't do in-person, FaceTime is a much better substitute than texting or talking on the phone. Um, but really getting that face-to-face -face interaction is very important for establishing connections that are meaningful. So if your child is experiencing loneliness, what he recommends is encourage them to volunteer. So one of the things that happens when we're experiencing loneliness is we're actually having a psychological shift, right? So we tend to be hypervigilant when it comes to things like social, what might be socially threatening. Um, and because of that, what we'll do is we'll kind of, um, we won't extend ourselves anymore, right? We'll feel like any situation that could potentially be socially threatening, we're not interested in. Um, or we're hyper aware of how people react to us, and we're more likely to think that that reaction is negative, even if it's not, um, than we are to think that it's positive. So 
one way that he, one thing he recommends is really volunteering because in that situation you're having a positive interaction with someone, you're helping someone, and that can help build up that confidence that it takes to engage more socially and overcome that hypervigilance. And recognizing that people really are nice and can be approachable. Um, and sometimes when we're feeling lonely, we just don't really have that perspective of the world. That happens when we're feeling lonely, we tend to become more egocentric. Um, we tend to think of ourselves more and not be able to really have that complex view of the world and the people in our world that we're interacting with. We're just focused way more on ourselves. Um, so asking people about themselves is a way to kind of overcome that natural tendency to be more confined and more focused on self. And then another thing he encourages is seek collectives to combat challenges of engaging. So collectives are places where a lot of people gather and they share some sort of similarity, some um, shared activity or values, things like that. And why that is a recommendation is, although I do think it's important to engage with people that are outside of your typical, the things that you're typically attracted to, if you're experiencing loneliness, it's much easier to engage with people that you feel you're similar to. So that can be a good kind of stepping stone back into being socially active. Uh, you know, we were talking about um, the three, what you need for connection. Um, and oftentimes people's thinking with loneliness is, I have to like, get more friends. I need to engage more. I need to join clubs. And while that can be helpful, um, what's been found is that often what we really just need is to deepen the connections that we already have. Finding those people that your child is interacting with on a daily basis, but maybe it's just not a deepened connection, encouraging them to really deepen that connection will go much further than saying, okay, join this club and this club and this club, and hopefully you'll find some people. Because it's, um, it's not actually about having access to a lot of people. Much more it's about having access to the couple of people in a, in a particular way, in a connected way. Okay, and then this side. The other thing is considering seeking professional help, um, especially if your child has been experiencing loneliness for a long period of time. Um, if they have, you know, symptoms of depression, anxiety, I definitely recommend seeking professional help. Um, and then there are things that can help with, you know, the social side of things. I do social training, social skills training. Um, and that there are people who, um, other professionals that work with social skills and everything. Um, but I think there are a lot of things that can help just at home that you parents can take home being more engaged in their social life, asking them questions, um, you know, really starting that conversation and encouraging the deeper connections. So thank you all for being here and listening. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. If you're interested in the archive video recording of this session and any corresponding handouts or resources, please visit the WHS Healthy Shaps website at healthyshaps.weebly.com.